Hey, welcome everybody. Go ahead and have a seat. If you're sitting close to mom, get real close and um, go ahead. Uh, we haven't had an opportunity yet to take our um, mom and kids selfie. I want you to go ahead and do that and uh, put hashtag mom's favorite because some of you came and your siblings did not. You, you know who you are, families, you know. Some of you came to be with mom and uh, you are getting extra points today because your brother or sister just failed to um, show the love. And so you need to make sure that it's documented because if it's not documented, it didn't happen. So go ahead and take your mom's selfie. Uh, there's also out in our lobby, there's a nice little bench with nice, um, um, you know, uh, mom colors and things and decorations all around it. If as you're leaving today, if you want to have a seat with mom or dad, any, anybody have a seat there, take a picture, use your phone and uh, just uh, make a um, good memory for this Mother's Day. We are so excited that uh, you have chosen to be here with us today. We do celebrate with all of our all of our moms, and uh, we are excited for you. Hope that you have a very special, special day today. We've been talking about adulting. Uh, we began this new series last week, and it's all about developing a childlike faith in a grown-up world, and that can be difficult because the idea of when you become a grown-up kind of is a moving target. In fact, a Pew Research study recently said that adolescents... Moving from adolescence to adulthood, there are usually about five different mile markers where you know that you are moving along the trail, but these markers now are being delayed more and more. The idea of becoming financially independent, leaving home, becoming married, having children, all these things are being pushed later and later in life. And so you can't just say that, hey, once you turn 18, that all of a sudden you're adult. It doesn't actually really work that way anymore. And so what we started saying last week was that, all right, but is there a characteristic that kind of marks this, this change from adolescence to adulthood? And we focused on the idea of, of self-sufficiency. And there are some people in the room this morning that are becoming more and more self-sufficient. We have some college graduates, some who are here, others who are off to be with mom, but we wanted to, to be able to recognize those who have achieved this great accomplishment. And so this year, some of the graduates that are connected to our church family, Daniel Ramsey Jr. graduated this year, Jacob and Hannah Gambrell graduated, Josh Antwine, Stephen Walker, Brianna Ruck, Kelsey Jenkins, Elon Teams, Harrison Foster, Catherine Whitehead, all of these graduated with their bachelors. We're excited about that. Let's give them a round of applause. That is awesome. Casey Hardison, he uh, graduated with his master's this year. We're excited for Casey. Great job for him. And Miss Elizabeth McMillan is now Dr. McMillan. She graduated with her PhD. That is awesome. See you back there. Uh, congratulations to all of these would-be adults who are now trying to figure out what in the world am I going to do now, right? I've graduated... Now what begins, to, what begins to happen? But we're all kind of, we're all on that road of self-sufficiency. We're all at different levels. But, but here's the problem with that. Self-sufficiency and, and the idea that I'm going to take care of myself and I can do it all on my own, it actually ends up running headlong into the message of Jesus 
And we find out that these two ideas are diametrically opposed to one another. Because the good news shared by Jesus first and foremost says, I cannot take care of myself. I can't do it. I can't take care of my problems. I I can't take care of the sin that is present in my life. I'm actually powerless to do anything to change my sin condition. Unless a merciful, graceful God steps in, there's nothing that I can do. And therefore I'm helpless and I'm like a child. And so self-sufficiency keeps us from Jesus. It's that characteristic of adulthood where we think, all right, we've arrived. We made it. We're adults. We're going to take care of ourselves. And God says, hang on, slow down. And it's just the beginning of the problems that we run into because as we grow up, we begin to develop all types of different opinions and ways of thinking, behaviors that might make us really good adults, but make us very poor children of the kingdom of God. And we pack up our adult suitcases with all kinds of attitudes and behaviors that we think make us all grown up. And we stick in those suitcases self-reliance and complexity and anxiety and apathy and busyness. And then Jesus comes along and he says, look, why don't you just let it all go? Why don't you just take off the baggage? Why don't you get rid of all this adult stuff and come to me as a child. He said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, why don't you, why don't you let me show you how to, to grow up? And so we climb up into his lap, ready to listen to his instruction. But there's something uncomfortable There's something that is keeping us from actually getting close to him. And he smiles with a smile of compassion. And he reaches moms and dads for our bags of anxiety. And he says, you won't be needing this anymore. And that's when we look at Jesus and say, slow your roll. We look at him and say, what are you talking about, Willis? We look at him and say, what? I don't need my anxiety. What do you mean I don't need my anxiety? That shows I'm an adult, right? Moms, you go home with that child, right? And and you go home and you're this new mother and you watch that thing lay there. And you just watch. And you wonder what's going to happen next. And you get down and you listen to see, are, are they still breathing? Or is everything still working right? My mother called the hospital and asked to speak to a nurse or a doctor because I had been sleeping for 12 hours after she brought me home. And the nurse said, sweetheart, is this your first child? I said, well, yes, it is. She said, then enjoy it while it lasts. <laughs> But she was worried. She had heard all these stories. And for whatever reason, I was just worn out. And I was just sleeping and sleeping. And she was sitting there watching me and listening for sounds. And you've done that before. You've walked by your child's room and you've just leaned an ear in. And there are some of you who are just creepy. And you'll just go and sit by your kid's bed. Yeah. And those of you who are children, right, you know what that's like, where all of a sudden you feel as if somebody's watching me. 
And you're lying there asleep and, and you open up one eye and you look to the side and there's mom. You're like, mom, what are you doing? I'm just watching you. Why? I love you. Mom, it's creepy. But that's what moms do. They do creepy things because they just get built up with so much anxiety and so much worry. And Jesus says, look, you're not going to need that anymore in the kingdom of God. You can take it off. And we say, but these anxieties, they're real. And in fact, as we grow further into adulthood, almost daily, I find more things to be worried about. And I know you do as well. You know, just this last week, I talked with people who were anxious I talked with people who were anxious about their health. They hadn't planned on surgery. They had not planned on a hospital stay. And yet that's where they found themselves this week. I talked with people who were anxious about their future. They had not planned on their boss coming in and telling them that they were being let go. I talked with people who were anxious about their security. They were waiting for a new job. They've got all these feelers that are out there, but so far nothing. I talked with people this week who were anxious about their family, unsure exactly what direction their children are going to take after graduation. I talked with individuals this week who were anxious about their tomorrow. They hadn't planned on saying goodbye to their spouse, and yet that's exactly what they've had to do. And guys, these are real and valid concerns. These are real concerns that fill up all of our adult luggage. And we carry it. And some of you have brought it in here this morning because it's a part of your identity. It's a part of, it's a part of who you are. And then Jesus says what is probably the most countercultural command. Don't worry. Don't worry. It doesn't make sense, I know, but, but here's what he says. He says, do not worry about your life. Don't worry about your life, whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can any of you with all of your worries add a single moment to your life? And why are you worried about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. If God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and then thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly take care of you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, well, what are we going to eat and what are we going to drink and what are we going to wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly father already knows what you need. So seek first the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously. He'll give you everything you need. Don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. 
make no mistake, the issue of worry to Jesus is not merely emotional. And his command in this passage carries with it just as much weight as, as when he'll talk later about the ideas of lying or adultery. The Son of God with all the authority of heaven says that the children of God must not worry. And the way that he presents this, when you read it, you begin to understand that anxiety is outright disobedience to Jesus. Now we've been raised and there's something it feels like that's just born within us that says you have to worry. And some of you have PhDs in it. And some of us know no other way to go through life. We are from a long generation of worriers. You know, I told you about my mother and, and how she would sit there and watch me and then call the emergency room to see if I was okay. But she came from a long line of worriers. She tells the story of how she got to go on the pep bus for the first time when she was in high school. And the pep bus was going to an out-of-town football game. And all of a sudden, people started saying, hey, look, who's riding behind us? And she turned to look, and there was her dad riding behind the pep bus. She came from a long line of warriors. And you did too. But Jesus says that anxiety, it's disobedience. Because what you're actually saying is you don't trust God. And this is where I just got to be honest that I take a little bit of offense. Because frankly, as an adult, the command not to worry, it just seems unrealistic. It seems like something that's thrown in there and it's like, yeah, that's what the real, the real holier-than-thou Christians do. That's what those who have got it all together. Maybe it's for them, but it's not for me. Don't worry. You say, come on, Jesus. You can't really mean that. Because I have all this responsibility. And have you seen all the things going on in the world today? And what about trying to raise kids in this type of an environment? It's a nice idea, but it's just not practical. And the very suggestion that we should not worry is just a denial of reality and it actually seems very irresponsible. But then I look at it more deeply and I see that the issue of worry and anxiety when you really delve down into it is that worry serves as a barometer of what we really believe about God. See, it's more than negative character trait or a habit to overcome Worry is this barometer that reveals what I think is true or not true about the God that I serve. And something has short-circuited our understanding of, of who God is. And our anxiety levels reveal that we have begun to believe that God just isn't very powerful. And that God just might not be very loving. And that God might not know what he's doing. See, our anxiety level, it tends to only give lip service to the supposed power of God. We can talk about how that this great God allowed his children to walk across the Red Sea on dry ground. And we can recite from memory the story of how Elijah's offering burned up even though it was soaked by water. But our own life experiences often fail to measure up to these awesome moments. And there have been times where we have said, where is our altar on fire? And where is my dry ground, God? And as we've gone into adulthood, these stories have become just that. They become stories. And we're left hoping against hope that God truly still has the power today that we've read about before in Scripture. 
Or maybe it's not that God is all-powerful. Maybe we just really doubt that he's loving. Because as we've gotten older, we've had one too many experiences that have shown us that love is just not something to last. The experiences have taught us that love is a passing affection. It's here today and then it's gone tomorrow. Or that love means that you just use someone else for your own gratification. Or that love is only applicable when the time is right and when everything is convenient. And in all these ways we've been burned on love. It would be great if there was some God up there in the cosmic universe who would love us. But we just can't seem to grasp it. We can't seem to feel that that is actually available to us. And we say we will not be burned again by this idea of love. I don't know, maybe it's not the power, maybe it's not the love. Maybe it's just you don't think God knows what he's doing. You don't think he's very wise. That if he does have the power and if he does have the love, then he's not using it in a very, in a very good way. You know, the Israelites struggled mightily with this throughout the pages of the Old Testament. And one of their big anxious moments is found in your Old Testament book of Numbers, chapters 13 and 14. They had made it to the doorstep of receiving a land of promise that had been prepared for them by their God, only to learn that there were big people who were already living there. Now, they should not have been surprised because God had already told them, look, the land is beautiful and it's occupied. And so when the word came back from the spies that they sent into the land that, hey, it's beautiful and big people are hanging out there, they should have seen that as a way of going, hey, God keeps his word. We can trust God because that's what he's already told us. But instead, the people were worried and anxious. And here's what they said. Why is the Lord taking us into this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones, they're going to be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better if we all just returned to Egypt? And the people began to talk among themselves. And they said, let's choose a new leader and let's go back. Can you hear what they're actually saying? The Lord doesn't love us because if he loved us, he wouldn't have brought us here. And the Lord isn't powerful because our families are going to be destroyed. And the Lord isn't very wise. We need to choose somebody else. We need to choose another leader because this guy that he's put in charge, he has no idea what he's doing. Does it sound familiar? We say the Lord doesn't love me. Because if he did, he wouldn't have allowed this to happen. We say the Lord isn't powerful. I just don't know how I'm going to take care of my family. We say the Lord isn't wise. I've got to choose my own path. And I've got to drown my anxiety and worry in my work or in alcohol or in relationship or whatever it is that we choose. You see, unlike... Children who implicitly and innocently trust that their parents know and are able and are willing to do what is best for them. We have lived just long enough to wonder if that's actually true of our Heavenly Father. And so we walk around with all of our anxiety bags and we just feel the weight begin to grow and grow. So the question is for us, what, what is it that can help us grow young? Is there anything out there, is, is there anything that can actually help us where we grow young and we become like children who are never worried if there's going to be milk in the refrigerator, never upset or concerned if the sun's going to come up tomorrow? How do we change and become like children? 
But I think the answer is also found in Numbers. In chapter 14 and verse 6, Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of Jephunneh, they were among those who had, who had explored the land and they tore their clothes and they begged the assembled people of Israel. And they said, the land that we have passed through and explored is exceedingly good. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land that is flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. So do not be afraid of them. Are there big people in the land? Yes. But the Lord is with us. That's the message. That, that, that's, that's the message that they had that day. And it's the message that we need to be able to hear today. Are there big things out there that can cause worry and anxiety? Whether you're in elementary school or middle or high or college, you're graduating, you're just starting a family, you're getting into those empty nest years, you're going through retirement, you're facing your own death. Are there big people and big things out there? Yes. And Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. And when trouble comes along, it should not make us worry more. It should let us know, you know what? God knows what he's talking about. Are there big people in the land? Yes. But the Lord is with us. Are there layoffs and doctor visits in your future? Yes. Are there uncertainties about your financial future? Yes. Are there concerns about your children? Yes and yes and yes. But the Lord is with us. To grow past our worry, we have to trust in this, guys. We have to trust in the fact that God is not some imagination that was written down in Scripture. Written down in some ancient book in pages of old. That God is alive and he is powerful and he is loving and he is wise. And the things that go on in our life are not lost to him. He is not surprised by anything that happens. And he is with us. So Jesus says, why do you worry? It's been said that 90% of the things we worry about never actually happen. Those monsters that kept you awake that you just knew were under your bed, they weren't there. They were in your closet. <laughs> Sorry, oh, I didn't mean to give that away. My bad. Um, no, it's 90%. 90% of the things you worry about don't happen, but it's the 10% that happen. That's the bad stuff, right? It's the 10%. It's those monsters of job loss or economic downturn or disease or relational strife or whatever they are. They're real. The 10% is all too real and it's coming for us. If not now, then soon. And it's 10% of tragedy and it's 10% of pain and it's 10% of difficulty. And yet we're told in Scripture that there is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear. There's a reason why when the monsters were banging underneath your bed and coming out of the closet in the middle of the night that you cried out for your mom. Because you knew where love lived. You knew where love lived. There's a reason why when 
you had your first breakup that was really serious, you called your mom because you knew where love lived. There's a reason why when you didn't know what to do and when it seemed like everything was spiraling out of control, that all the 10% was just coming in on you, that you went and had a cup of coffee with your mom because you knew where love lived. And perfect love drives out fear. And how does it work? How, how does it work? Does perfect love, does it drive out fear because it says, hey, you're just making a mountain out of a molehill? Is that what it is with God? That God says, look, all you people that came in here with all these bags of anxiety today, it's really no big deal. Don't worry about it. You're just being silly. I don't think that's it. I don't think that God is condescending like that. Instead, the perfect love of God, when confronted with our anxiety, worry, and fears, all of our what-ifs replies, well, what if it does? What if the business fails? What if the disease comes? What if the economy crumbles? The love of God says, well, what if it does? Can any of these things change the relationship that I have with you? Can any of these things move me out of your life? Would any of these occurrences, bad though they might be, call into question the eternal security that is stored up for you? Would it change the character of a good, loving, powerful God? What if it happens? Fear is driven out by the love of God. Not because that 10% of the things we worry about will happen. But because even when it does, it does not change who God is. It does not change the promise that he has made with you. It has not changed the love that he demonstrated through Jesus Christ. So scripture says, if God be for us, then who can be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Guys, why don't you read the rest of this passage with me? Why don't you stand in the presence of God this morning and read the truth of Scripture? It'll be here on the screen. Let's say this together. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or are destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, or not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So lay it down. Lay down the anxiety. Lay down the anxiety and worry, moms, that you have about your kids. Lay down the anxiety and worry, dads, that you have about being able to make everything right and to hold it all together and to keep everything running smoothly. 
Those of you who are still in school, lay down the anxiety that you think, you know what, if I don't make this team or if I don't make that grade or if I don't have this friend group, then everything's just going to fall apart. Let Lay down the anxiety that is always worried about how others look at you and how people see and perceive you and all of your quirks and all the different special ways that God has made you. Lay it down and trust that God is with you. These bags up here, we get so used to them. And we can't imagine life without them. But maybe just for today, could you try? Today, could you come before God and just lay it down? And name the anxiety that you have. Could you come this morning before this, this church body? Come with your, your spouse. Come with your children. Come, come with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Come with, come with your mom or dad. And, and, and just come up here this morning and, and name the anxiety that is weighing you down so much. And trust God. I said that my mom came from a long line of warriors. My grandfather was a warrior. My grandmother was not. In her later years, there was a storm coming through town and a family from church called her up and said, Miss Sula, we'd like for you to come over to our house to stay tonight because the weather is supposed to be getting rough. And my grandmother's response was, you don't want me to come to your house. They said, why? He said, well, if it's my time to go, you don't want me there. said, I'll be fine right here. God knows where I'm at and you don't want me there if, if he's looking for me. And I've told you before how that she would tell me each time she would come and hear a lesson that I presented. She'd meet me at the back door. She'd say, grandson, you forgot to tell him something. You forgot to tell them to bring their burdens to the cross and leave them there. So on this Mother's Day, I'm going to tell you, bring your worries, bring your anxiety, bring your burdens, bring them to God and leave them. Father, thank you so much for the people who are here this morning. For all the families that are represented. Father, they've come in with bags of anxiety just because it seems like that's what you're supposed to do as adults. My prayer is that we would all grow young today. That we become like little children. That we would crawl up into your lap. Laying down our burdens. And trusting solely in you. In the name of Jesus we pray. If you need to come this morning, we ask you to please run, don't walk, as we stand and sing.